So this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. Welcome to Feature Creep, colon. Building microwaves, semicolon. Uh, well, so this podcast is about Kryptos, the, uh, a sculpture um, by an American artist, Jim Sanborn. Uh, we'll probably title this a little bit differently because we'll think of something funny or punny or, I don't know, just right. more, <laughs> more fun. Um, but yeah, you know, welcome to our podcast. If you've never listened to us before, we're our, uh, we are ostensibly an art design. Ostensibly, it's about art and design. But, but really, but really, it's about getting sidetracked as quickly as possible. Um, mm-hmm. It's about tangents, um, tangents, which are you know a perfectly legitimate. Uh, what is it? Um, you know, uh, art and design technique, drawing drawing tangents, or um, yeah, you know, part of. We're uh, like we're like the most tangential podcast on the internet. Yeah, they're geometrically related. Yeah, the most tangential podcast on the internet. We're, we're, <laughs> we're ranked. Um, we're ranked fifty nine in in Ireland in the uh, right. in the category of art and design, <laughs> <laughs> according to uh, podstatus.com. What's more tangential than that? Right. Right. Some like way over here, we're distantly related right. to podcasts yes. about art and design in, in Ireland. Yeah. Somewhere down the list. I mean, yeah. hello, our Irish listeners. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Um, okay. So anyway, uh, Kryptos mm-hmm. is a sculpture and it was uh, created by an American artist, uh, Jim Sanborn. Um, and it was it was created in 1990 and the interesting thing about this sculpture and the reason we're the reason that this fits so well into our little mini series about cryptography crypt, mm-hmm. cryptography or just sort of yeah. you know um because it's kind of making crypto the babble crypto babble uh because it's kind of in the headlines lately with nfts and cryptocurrency and all the other yeah the other uh super trendly tech trend trendly 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 tech. The trendliest of techs. The trendliest of techs. Yeah. We're going to call this trendly tech. All right. That's a good title. Um, Yep. I'm writing it down right now. Fantastic. (laughs) So if you're listening to this, you'll know whether or not that made it into the actual title that you read before you clicked (laughs) on it. Um, Mm -hmm. The clickbaitiest of titles. Um, (laughs) Click clicklier. Clicklier. We're clicklier than you. We're clicklier than you. Oh, Um, God. Oh, everybody enjoys the superlative. So it's the clickliest clickliest yeah um anyway so uh so jim sanborn um he makes this uh he makes a sculpture and it's a oh so there's two things that are interesting about it one is that it's located on the grounds of the uh, cia or the central intelligence agency in langley virginia um it was dedicated on november 3rd 1990 um Uh uh-huh and the interest, the other interesting thing about it is it has... Is there a ribbon-cutting ceremony? They don't say, but I want there to have been a weird ribbon-cutting ceremony. Right, right? Yeah. I mean, I just kind of imagine um, people kind of standing around, like, milling about, having been pulled off of, like, their, like, desk job assignments of, like, decrypting something to stand out in this courtyard, 
like drinking like cups of coffee out of like CIA government issued mugs and and smoking like a cigarette. You know, some of them are smoking cigarettes. They're all wearing like well worn suits, you know, or yes, or like I, pantsuits. Somebody's, and- somebody's got a coffee mug that says, "I can neither confirm nor deny that I am the world's best ad." Yes, right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um yes maybe i have kids right like like there's lots of like really like poor attempts at in jokes like things about like redacted statements and things um yeah i just i I can see this scene really clearly in my mind now um you know and somebody sort of like disaffectedly like cuts some ribbon or something and yeah yeah um or they like pull some like old sort of like canvas tarp off of the thing (laughs) right so uh (laughs) So we'll get to why this is interesting, but let me first describe that it it looks like um, I've never seen it in person, but it looks like it's kind of in the middle of a courtyard somewhere, or like in the like the elbow of two buildings, like the anacubital of a build, like two buildings meeting mm-hmm. somewhere. Um, and so what you've got here is a bronze, so a copper bronze. So it's got that green patina that copper bronze gets from being yes, outside. I love that. Yeah, and it's um, it's like a it's like a wave of paper. So like I would say it's about maybe eight feet tall and it's about eight feet wide. And then it's got a, like a wave and it's standing on its edge. So like if you were looking from the top down to the ground, it would make kind of a, a loose S mm-hmm. like a little bit of a stretched out S and then yeah. on the surface of it. And so the actual material looks to be about maybe three inches thick roughly. And then on the yes. surface of it, it's um, it's meticulously carved out and there are four messages. And, or there's text on it. There's four blocks of text. Sure. And, like in quadrants kind of. Yeah, four kind of quadrants. And yeah. um, and so these blocks of text or these quadrants are um, encrypted messages, which means that to the naked eye, they're just strings of random characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the artist created this sculpture. And um, of these four messages... The first three have been solved. However, the fourth message is unsolved. So Mm. that's why this is kind of intriguing and interesting. Um, And it looks like the encrypted messages are all all, all, like the the alphabet that we're familiar with. So, you know, like standard English alphabet as opposed to, say, Cyrillic or something Mm -hmm. that would be unrecognizable to me as a non-native speaker. Right. So all of the all of the puzzles are just capital letters with no spaces. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there are special characters like a question mark, but mostly it just looks like a big giant string of text. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it Um, looks like they're punched out. So there's like the wavy metal paper thing. And then the text written on it is actually the letters have been removed. So the light shines through where the letters are that's how you read them yeah like the letters are the negative space of the yeah. um, of the piece yeah you said that much better than i <laughs> no 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 i i think that that works well together yeah <laughs> it's the letters you could see through yeah <laughs> like a stencil yeah. um yeah yeah and so the first three have been deciphered and um and so let's just kind of look at so uh so I'm just looking to see when the first one was deciphered. It looks like um, 
so they had an analyst, David Stein, had solved. Um, so the first to announce publicly that he had solved the first three passages was uh, Jim Gilogly, a computer scientist from Southern California, uh, who deciphered these passages using a computer and revealed his solution in 1999. Mm. Um, so nine years later. Uh, after that announcement, the CIA revealed that their analyst, David Stein, had solved the same passages in 1998 using pencil and paper techniques. Um, okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I just love how, I mean, the way this reads, and I have no idea, but it's just like, no, we did it first with pencil and paper. Um, I mean, also irrelevant, but uh, so uh, let's see. Yeah, and so apparently um, that happened in 1999. So um, the NSA also claimed that some of their employees had solved the same three passages but would not reveal names or dates until March 2000 when it was learned that an NSA team led by Ken Miller along with Dennis McDaniels and two other unnamed individuals had solved the salt passages one through three in late 1992 that's so fucking nsa so the cia is like look what this guy did yeah and they said this in 1998 they're like look how this is what this guy did this is who this guy is that did it and this is when he did it using this technique right 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 even though it says at the time of his solution the information was only disseminated within the intelligence community no public announcement was made till july 999 and then the NSA also claimed that some of their employees had solved the same three passages but would not reveal the names or dates until March 2000, even though they had solved the passages in late 1992. That's so NSA. Like, that's so, yes. like, we did it, but we're not telling any of you. Right. And the CIA is like, this guy did it. <laughs> <laughs> so, and here's how and when. Right. It's so funny. And I love, I love also, so in 2013, um, in response to a Freedom of Information Act request by Alonka Dun- Dunnan, who we'll get to in a moment. She is a very interesting part of this whole thing. Um, okay. Uh, so she she made a request to the NSA, and the NSA released documents which show the NSA became involved in attempts to solve the cryptos puzzle in 1992 following a challenge by Bill Stutterman. This is a paraphrase or direct quote, essentially, from the Wikipedia article as of May 20, 2021. Um, okay. So then deputy director of the CIA. So Bill Bill Stutterman in 1992 was the director of the CIA. And he said, hey, um, I'm issuing a challenge for our employees to solve this puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the documents show that by June 1993, a small group of NSA crypto analysts had succeeded in solving the first three passages of the sculpture. Um, and so... Uh, Yeah, so the first two passages, or no, sorry, two passages. So order is, they're in, like you said, they're kind of laid out in a quadrant. Um, Right. There's there's basically, um, you know, draw a square and draw two lines through the, make a cross in the middle and you have four quadrants. And so like. Yeah, it looks like an X, Y axis. Yeah. A bunch of letters. Exactly. Yeah. And so the upper left is a block of letters and the upper right is a block of letters, lower left, lower right. So, um so we don't know uh or i don't know order of like which one was solved but the f- but three of the four have resolved um and so the interesting thing was that two so all attempts to solve cryptos had found that passages two that passage two ended with west id by rose 
Yeah, like, uh, and again, this is all of the characters are all in caps with no spaces, and so it's just all caps W E S T I D B Y R O W S. Yeah, and then in 2006, a Dr. Nicole Friedrich, um, a logician from Vancouver, Canada, determined that another possible plain text was West Player Two, all one word again, all uppercase um, and no spaces. Uh, yeah. This was either, yeah, West ID by Rose or West Player 2. They have the same number of letters. Yeah. So um, we won't get too much into the ciphers and things um, just because that's, it it gets a little bit detailed. We'll we'll maybe touch on that in a minute. But um, you're probably, people are probably itching to know, like, well, what the fuck does it say? Um, So let's just kind of get that. Out of well, should we hold that to the very bitter end so that people have to listen? Isn't that what people do in this kind of thing? Um, Did you say what? Yes. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Let's be like everybody else. Let's be like everybody else. Um, (laughs) For once. Yeah. Well, I actually, before we even get there, I want to talk about um, this woman, uh, and her name is Alonka Dunnan. So yeah, let's talk about Alonka. Alonka Dunnan um, is an American. She's an American video game developer and cryptologist. Um, and how she fits into all of this is that um, so she's written several books and articles about cryptog- cryptography over her mm. li- over her career, um, and so she's written quite a bit about cryptos. And in fact, where did that go? So. Um, she wrote a book called um, The Lost Symbol. Yep. Uh, but she's been working on crypto since it was released. Like since it was okay. published. Since it was published. Since its creation. Um, okay. And I want to find that particular thing. So she's been working on it, you know, in her spare time. Um, and she has been really really passionate about it and what's really interesting about that is there are um so first of all um cryptos or so first of all jim sanborn is still alive and so there are um there's an annual group meeting that he goes to where really really interested individuals who are still trying to solve it go and try to pry hints and information from him um, ah, and he's gotten very good at um, at not divulging anything. Like he said, his poker, as as he put it, um, you can watch you can watch several interviews with him on YouTube. Um, I won't I won't send any particular links, but he talks about his ability to, or how good his poker face has gotten over the years because he goes and and people just don't stop asking questions about it. And he said he gets emails every day. From different, like from people all over the world, just you know, still asking about it, um, wow. hoping to get any kind of information. Um, I have no idea, like how what his correspondence is like. I I didn't opt to like reach out to him for this story or anything like that. This is just kind of a uh, you know, um, just kind of review the information. But um, uh, interesting thing. Uh, so if you're familiar with Dan Brown's uh, novel, The Da Vinci Code. Um, it actually has two references to cryptos. Um, and also there is a character in there, um, oh. sort of an, with an anagram of Alonka Dunnan. And I just want to see if I can find, um, 
uh, yeah. So the character, the character in that book is called Nola K, which is a, mm-hmm. um, which is an anagram of uh, Alonka Dunnan. And so, um, or yeah, part of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so uh, or yeah. So anyway, the long story short is that that was kind of an interesting connection, and so she has this really interesting kind of life where she, um, in the eighties, she became involved with. Uh, this is where it like really tickles me. So her <laughs> life is really interesting because she. So in the nineteen eighties, um, some of you will remember this time. Some of you may not have been in, as involved in tech at that time. Um, but there was this kind of BBS culture and BBS uh, stands for bulletin board system. And so this was like pre-internet where people would run these servers that you could dial into with your modem. Um, a lot of universities yeah. had them. And so bulletin board systems were kind of like a very early version of Reddit. Um, mm-hmm. There was no graphics. Um, if there were images like JPEGs, I think JPEGs were around at that time. Well, before JPEGs, there was the like, so bitmaps still exist, but um, before there was like a lot of compression. And this is probably what drove the kind of concepts of compression. But you could, you could download images, but you didn't like, you didn't see them in your browser. Like now you go to a website, you click on a link, and you get a page full of text and images and multimedia and videos. Back then, you would navigate through this like very sparse or very like like rudimentary kind of text menu tree and you were typing in commands like those really old text adventure kind of experiences where you needed to type in commands and you needed to know how to um so like there was no mouse clicking or anything like that usually things were driven by like menus where you'd like hit a number and hit enter and then you'd get into a new sub menu and then eventually you could like download files and the things you could download were were things like you could download an image like you know um and you'd be like oh like if somebody was like hey i'm working on this project and um you know here's a photo which again digital cameras weren't even that like common and so the idea that you could even digitize an image in the first place like a lot of times it would be like a scan scanners were kind of popular at that point or like becoming available um and so you download these images and it would take like depending on the speed of your modem and the speed of the server, it could take like an hour to get this image. And so you just, yeah, it was just forever. And you, um, and you could download these things like, you know, you could kind of like, you know, when I was, this was like going on when I was in early high school and a little bit in middle school where I would, we would do like, you could get the anarchist cookbook, which I didn't fucking know what the fuck that was. And like, you download it and it's (laughs) like, you, it just be this like, like this sort of garbage scan of text that had been converted through optical character recognition or something, or like somebody had written it and said it was the anarchist cookbook. And it would just be like, I don't even remember what it said. It just was it. You read it and it was so like not exciting because you're, you're thinking like, (laughs) you know, you're watching movies like hackers and shit. Like you're like, fuck yeah. Like I'm going to be like this cool guy, like doing this stuff. And, and you read this stuff and you're just like, this is just, you know, it's just things like, you know, um, I, nothing stands out in my mind, but I imagine the the tone of it was like, you know, how to spray paint a wall, like get a can of paint and spray it on the wall. Like, you know, it was just kind of yeah. not really, you know, it felt very obvious and not a lot of it was very like spoke to me. Um, but a lot of those things were more, you know, more in the name than it was in, you know, like anything else. Um, 
Yeah. Did we ever talk? Did we do an episode about the anarchist cookbook and the guy who wrote it? No, but maybe we should. We fucking should because um, it's it's quite the story. Like he yeah. wrote this book back in the day and people like contact him as the author of it, even though he doesn't like to talk about it. And mm-hmm. um, like I was listening to this one interview that somebody did with him and they're like, so how do you how do you feel about the fact that all these years later, something that you wrote and assembled and produced as a, a young adult has been used countless of times over to like inflict damage or, you know, yeah, well, whatever. And he's like, I just don't really think about it. So, so just to be clear, like I just Googled it just to see, like, you know, look at the Wikipedia article. Um, uh-huh. So, I, uh, for sure, I never downloaded the actual Anarchist Cookbook. Um, yeah. Because it talks about having, um, like, d- instructions for manufacture of explosives, rudimentary telecommunication yeah. freaking devices, um, yep. uh, you know, manufacture of illicit drugs. Like, none of that was in the copy I had. So, Okay, yeah, there's, like, how to build a pipe bomb, I think, is in the original. Right, yeah. So, I definitely, whatever I had downloaded was just some you know, some, you know, other teenagers bullshit interpretation of, you know. Sure. Um, I do have something called Recipes for Disaster, an anarchist cookbook, which is not the anarchist cookbook, but uh-huh. a separate book of projects. And none of it is about illicit substances or pipe bombs that you're going to stick in some stranger's mailbox. It's like, it's more things about like direct action, like how to, how to embed linoleum tile in asphalt so that you can write messages in the street that can't be washed off or painted over. Oh, interesting. I mean, you could paint them, but it's not going to last. Right. Right. Um, Gotcha. And like how to, like how to, you know, the logistics of say creating and unfurling a banner on a freeway overpass without getting caught. Right, right. And just stuff like that. So things that are like... Sort of more activist. Um, more activist and less like, damn the government. I'm right, going to start a right. militia with pipe bombs. Right, right. <laughs> totally different approach. Yeah. <laughs> like a different uh, goal, I think. Yeah. I mean, I've always felt that um, that I want to live in a country where if we're affecting change, we're we're doing it in the mode of the way we want to live in the country, which is to say we're not going out and killing people. So we're right. Right. We're going out and changing minds and being like, this is where we want to live. And we want to live in a country where things change because people agree and like, you know, get on board with it as opposed to like forcing someone else to like, you know, yeah, do it or die or, or, you know, here's a pipe bomb or whatever the fucking, you know, right. Anyway, something cynical. Yeah. Yeah. Like subversive language and, um, you know, on a soapbox versus, you know, just aggressive aggression. So, right. Yeah. Yes. Like it's the difference between like constructive discourse and destructive discourse. Yeah. Yeah. Constructive discourse. Exactly. Like I don't, you like, know, the worst that's going to happen with like the, the recipes for disaster is that you're going to end up leaving like, you know, a canvas tarp on a freeway overpass for somebody else to clean up. So it's trash. Yeah. Know, yeah. Guess, it's not great. But, like, it's but not going to destroy a building. Right. Right. Yeah. Like property anyone. damage and things like that is always a right. complicated. Anyway, um, yeah. let me, let me go back to, back so, to the sculpture. Back to Here the we scu- are to be in tangential is what we do. Yeah. So, um, 
<laughs> so uh, now we're so we're talking about Alonka Dunnan, um, and yep. and so in the in the eighties she'd become involved in the growing BBS culture. Um, yeah, and so she was uh, she was working. And so in 1989, she was working for as a temporary legal secretary in L.A., in Los Angeles. Um, and that interest seemed to overlap into early multiplayer games, such as... Um, so there was uh, there were some early multiplayer games. Some of you will recognize them. Some of you won't. Um, not really relevant. But she worked on a game called British Legends. Or she was involved. I'm not exactly hmm. sure how she was involved. But there was a game called British Legends, CompuServe... Um, uh, Sim- Simutronics, Gemstone Two, and, uh, mm. on the Genie, which I'm a oh, Genie is. I a, just burped. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, a Genie was sort of a net, like an early network, like an early online service. Um, mm. Anyway, uh, so in 1990, she moved to St. Louis and started working for the online game company Simutronics, um, and that was like really early days of the internet. So she was like kind mm-hmm. of involved in a lot of this stuff. Um, they don't actually mention MUDs, which were another, they were like an early online multiplayer game. In fact, yeah. MUDs stand for multi-user dungeon. And that was kind of early pre-internet um, play. Like if you, if you had a server running a BBS, oftentimes you also had a MUD. Um, ah. And those things were kind of intertwined. Um, Interesting. Not always, but anyway, so she worked on a bunch of games, but um at some point, she got really interested in um, in cryptography, and in year, in the year two thousand, she cracked the freak the Freaknik version three point code. Um, and so, what that is uh, was uh, Freaknik is an annual hacker and technology convention, and um, and so they basically um, had you know she basically cracked a code that they published. Um, or basically an amateur cryptographic puzzle um, yeah. created by a hacker group. Um, and that kind of launched her public interest in uh, high-profile ciphers. So um, so coming back to Cryptos, um, the location of Cryptos on CII grounds, physical access to the sculpture is restricted. So um, Dunnan gave a presentation to CIA analysts about stenography and Al-Qaeda. And in 2002... Um, she gave that, and then Dunnan was one of the lucky few who saw cryptos in person. Um, oh, and she. Oh, right, because it's probably. I mean, obviously, like the CIA access. is yeah, not just going to just... let anybody wander up and stare at it. Right. Yeah. So it's inside. So it's. Um, let's go back to its location for a second. So yeah. where it's located is. Um... Come on, I just loud. read this. So. It's located in the northwest corner of the new headquarters building courtyard outside of the agent's cafeteria. So it's it. completely uh, blocked off from public access. It is on their grounds inside. So getting access to it would require um, probably all kinds of clearance or special tour or something like that. Like generally, I'm sure they're just like, fuck off. Um, mm-hmm. This is not that important. <laughs> and we're not letting people just stomp around our, you know. Yeah. Our, our company ground or our building ground, our campus. So um, our spy castle, our spy castle. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so according to, um, let's see. Uh, yeah. So according to wired news in 2002, uh, Dunn give, gives this presentation um, to some CIA analysts, analysts about stenography and Al Qaeda. Um, and then she gets, um, she's, 
I guess invited it. It's not really clear in this this article, the Wikipedia article, but mm. um, it basically she says that or she had access to it after that, and she took some rubbings. Um, and so, based on her visit, she launched the beginnings of what became a comprehensive website about the sculpture. Um, mm. And she also became co-create co-moderator of a Yahoo group that is attempting to decipher the encrypted messages on the sculpture. Um, Fun. Yeah. So in 2003, Dunnan organized a team which solved the ciphers on Cryptos's sister art sculpture, the Cyrillic pro- Projector. So there's another um, sculpture yes. also created by Jim Sanborn. Um, and I, I looked it up because I happened to notice that. And uh, there's so there he also did the Cyrillic Projector is one. Mm hmm. And then the third that that rounds out the trio of Cryptos, Cyrillic Projector, and Antipodes. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so Antipodes has two sides, one with the Latin alphabet, one with Cyrillic. Uh-huh. The Latin side is similar to Cryptos, and the Cyrillic side is similar to the Cyrillic Projector. So Antipodes is kind of like a melding of the other two sculptures into itself. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And Cyrillic Projector was solved supposedly in 2003 by f- a man named Frank Kaur. And uh, someone else s- also decrypted it, and somebody named Mike Bales, in September of the same year. So July and September of the same year, two different people not working together solved it. And then uh, they both solved it in the Cyrillic. And then the first English translation of the text was done by Alonka Dunnan. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So she, yeah. So she, like, this is where her story kind of meets this story, right? So she's, she's like right there. She's like really interested in this. And now she's become really kind of, um, I don't want to say obsessed because I, the, all the interviews of her make her just seem like a very, this is a passion project, right? Like it's not, um, and I always worry. She's not a weirdo about it. She just enjoys it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like I think, um, I don't want to. What does it all mean? I'm always a fan of hyperbole, but um, in this case, like, you know, it's part of, it's just been something that she's been very interested in. So she has this, this group now, um, this Yahoo group that was, you know, that's been really, um, so Yahoo groups, if you're not, if you're just not really in the tech world and don't understand it all, like Yahoo groups are just kind of like a, a, an an electronic, it's an email mailing list, essentially. Um, Yahoo just being the method of organizing that. Um, And so, you know, that's kind of, they're basically, you can think of it as they're using the Yahoo groups as a technology for communication platform and organization. Um, yep. Anyway, so uh, Yahoo's not, as a company, wasn't affiliated other than their tech was being used for <coughs> communication. So mm-hmm. uh, anyway, um, so then, um, so now come along, or now comes along Jim Sanborn, the creator of the sculptor or the artist, the artist, yep. I'm the artist. Um, I'm the artist. And he, um, dis- he either, it doesn't say, um, or I'm not exactly sure when he realized he'd made an error or whatever, but he decides that uh, he needs to release information about an error on the sculpture in 2006. And so he reached out to Dunham, uh, Dunnan to make the announcement. Uh, and then in 2007, Dunnan appeared on the PBS program Nova Science Now as an expert on cryptos. Um, so mm. they made they must have made the announcement probably through the group. It doesn't say specifically or what the error was. Um, it's we'll... cool that she's become an expert on a particular art project. Yes, yeah. I think I mean this. There's so much about this um, 
that I think is really interesting. I'm, I think it's one of the reasons that after we, so when we talked about um, NFTs or not fucking translatable or not fucking mm-hmm. trustworthy or whatever we're calling them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, you know, you really highlighted a lot of the, the potential for art and the way, and the fact that they kind of collide in art is an interesting concept. Um, and then watching, I'd watched this, just kind of caught this little, um, uh, like really short um, biography or I don't know what you call it, documentary about this. And I was like, oh, this is a really interesting person because it's like the idea of art having so much like of so much more of a deeper meaning and being so tied into like the concept of puzzles and and um, information, you know, yeah. in the way like if you think about art in terms of like communication and the way it communicates and what it communicates, I think this is a really interesting art project. And I think it's really interesting how yeah. how involved she is and how much she's become an expert of this. Um, yeah. And as you say, like she's been. Um, you know, in the in the mid two thousands, she's like going on public television and talking about it as an expert because she is. Um, I like that it doesn't do anything, but it's interactive. Yes, yeah, it's very interactive. Um, I think another interesting thing I was going to suggest maybe we really shouldn't talk about what the um, what the actual solutions are uh, yeah. or what the passages say because if you are interested in cryptography and you wanted to maybe do some of the work yourself to like solve them. Um, you can go on the Wikipedia article and, and it doesn't provide the solutions until well towards the bottom. And Mm -hmm. so you could, you could extract the text and then just leave it alone, um, and not, not know what it says. So you might enjoy the the process yourself. Um, in fact, you can kind of read through the top and get some of the hints for it. Um, including some of the solvers before you even get the solution. So you could kind of give yourself a head start if you don't want to like just go from the bitter, bitter beginning or yeah. bitter or the, the fresh beginning and the bitter end. I don't I remember how it works, but the new, anyway, um, what idioms, <laughs> idioms, go refer Idiom. to our idiom. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, so she's doing this thing and she's like, and, and so she's, going on tv and she's talking about it and she's got this whole group of people that are really interested in solving it um at this point you know the first three are are known um the first three solutions are known and so there's just kind of this like an enigmatic fourth quadrant of text that's Mm -hmm. you know that we're just waiting to find out about um and so uh so she writes some articles she gets involved um you know, she writes a companion book to Dan Brown's novel and she calls it the lost symbol. So Dan Brown's, um, or sorry, no, she writes a companion book to the author's Dan Brown's novel, the lost symbol. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't say what that book is called. Oh, does it? Well, that's Wait. man. Wikipedia let me down. Um, let me see. Well, okay. Uh, just for the sake of continuing to talk and keeping the podcast going. Um, she, she writes a book. We'll, we'll try and figure that out. Um, and so she also had assisted him with research for the novel. Uh, and as we said before, um, Brown named a character in the novel after. Her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the Nola K one. Oh no, no. It's before I'm just parsing the sentence weird. Okay. Oh. So, she writes a book. Uh, yep. No, sorry. So she contributed two articles to a 
a book about the sculpture cryptos. Yes. And the book is titled Secrets of the Lost Symbol, the unauthorized guide to the mysteries behind the Da Vinci Code sequel. And that is a companion book to Dan Brown's novel, The Lost Symbol. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And she had helped him with the research for that novel. And yes. so he named a character after her in right. that novel. Right. Yeah. 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 English. Should have been a languager. <laughs> a languager. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can talk has language. <laughs> Um, so she's written some other books. So she compiled a book of several hundred exercises and cl- classical cryptography, which I'm now I'm super interested in. This was Me written. Too. She wrote that or published it in 2006. Um, oh, and so the title of that book is the mammoth book of secret codes and cryptograms. Uh, in the UK it's titled the mammoth book of secret code puzzles. Um, and it also included a few details about several unsolved codes uh, such as cryptos so cryptos is currently an unsolved code and um yeah so uh and then that brings us right up to 2013 when we stated before where she made a request um through the freedom of information act to the ci or to the nsa to find out more about what they had done Um, i love that i love that she had to file a foia just to figure out if the nsa had even tried to or was even paying attention to this puzzle uh uh-huh yeah no i mean it's 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 kind of great Um, yeah, so, uh, so like, I'm just fascinated by this. Like she's just, you know, has this career and on the side, she's just has this group. And, um, I really encourage people to like, look out or have a little look for, um, for the, uh, YouTube, um, video. And actually maybe I know I said I wasn't going to say what it was, but let me, I'm going to just give it (laughs) because it actually, yeah. So there's, um, there's a YouTube channel called Great Big Story, and there's a, a title or a video titled "Cracking the Uncrackable Code," and it's got some pretty, pretty interesting um, information. It's only six minutes long, so it's really short. Um, oh, nice! But it it talks about her a little bit, and it shows some clips of them meeting, and like it, you know, talks about um, Dunham, and it also talks about um, the artist, uh, which his name is uh oh and it talks about jim sanborn so um yeah cool. anyway i don't know i mean I, you know super f- fascinating shit going on yeah in the world check it out uh that's all i gotta say about that um i, mean, I, I followed yeah i followed a link in one of the articles on wiki that we were reading about this and yeah. it led me to the page for steganography which is the practice of concealing a message within another message or a physical object. Yeah. Yeah. Steganography is really interesting. Um, Yeah. So there's um, the, the root words are steganos meaning covered or concealed and graphia meaning writing in Greek. Yeah. So steganography is really interesting. Um, like popular uses or recent uses of it are concealing messages in digital images. Yeah. And I think I find that really interesting because it's like you have cryptography where you're, you're taking some information and you're transforming it into seemingly random, um, you know, random information. So you're obscuring the message through, um, you know, basically through reordering the data, mm-hmm. 
and if you don't know how to put it back in the right order, there's, you know, in theory, there's no way to reconstruct the information. So it's like putting it through a paper shredder. Yeah. It's kind of like putting it through a paper shredder. Um, except that if you have the right unshredder, it will put it right back in the right order. Right. A D shredder, a D shredder. Um, that's kind (laughs) of, yeah, kind of way of thinking of it, but steganography is kind of this, like this other layer of, um, of basically like hiding things like it's kind of like um you know stashing your stashing messages in like bedposts and like other hidden places in your house right like it's kind of um i mean it's it's way more than that but it's just an interesting kind of concept um there's this there's also it mentions this article mentions <laughs> Some implementations of steganography that lack a shared secret are forms of security through obscurity and key dependent steganographic schemes adhere to Kirchhoff's principle. I don't know what Kirchhoff's principle is, but I know about security through obscurity and I'm kind of fascinated by it because I think hiding things in plain sight is kind of one of the greatest tricks ever. Like, Yeah, yeah. Um, the, uh, so security through obscurity is... Uh, defined as the reliance in security engineering on design or implementation secrecy as the main method of providing security to a system or component. Security experts have rejected this view as far back as 1851 and advise that obscurity should never be the only security feature. Yeah, so um, Kirchhoff's principle is, I think I can paraphrase it, which is the idea that um, a cryptographic system should remain secure even if everything about the system is known or like publicly available except for the key. Mm. So um, like door locks are really don't follow um, uh, Kirchhoff's or Kirchhoff's Kirchhoff's. I think it's a hard CK Kirchhoff's Kirchhoff's. So K E R C K H O F F S Kirchhoff's principle because it's an it's an s apostrophe s principle Um, yeah do you remember when that used to be like a a style taboo and now everywhere you look there's like apostrophe s s apostrophe s everywhere yeah like i always thought you don't put the extra s you just put the apostrophe right if it's a word that ends in s and it's plural and possessive then you used to only just stick an apostrophe on the end but now you're supposed to stick an apostrophe plus an extra s so you end up with kirkhoff's uh, the worst. Anyway, the principle, <laughs> the principle. So the principle is this idea that um, if you have a system of cryptography where uh, all of the moving, all of the parts of that system are known, except mm-hmm. for the information that's stored in the key, then it, it, should, st- still it sh- should remain secure. And my secure. comment about door locks kind of not like they don't actually adhere to this is that if you understand the mechanism of the door lock, um, you don't need the key. Uh-huh, you can yes, you right. can bypass the lock generally speaking that's not not all locks are that way um well most of them are there are definitely locks that are unpickable these days well there are locks that are very <laughs> difficult to pick anyway um my point being is that you know the modern lock like the common lock that most people have is like a pin and tumbler lock and once you understand that there are basically pins that need to be aligned correctly it's a mm-hmm. rather trivial exercise to bypass that lock um Sure. And so, uh, you know, my point being is that's what the Kirchhoff. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what my point is. My point is that there's tangents all the way down. It's Here's a tangent. Here's a tangent about a locked door. Yeah. Uh, when we 
years ago when we had this old Plymouth Valiant, this uh-huh. is like ancient car, um, we would drive it around and it was this big hulking metal car and it I don't think it would do over 85 on the freeway, even if you wanted it to. Uh-huh, right. And for whatever reason, my ex used to always lock the fucking keys in the car in the ignition. Oh, God. All the goddamn time. And we had to break into that car so many times. And one time we were out, we were at a gas station here in Minneapolis. And it was in a neighborhood that at the time had not been gentrified. And so it was full of people with differing practical skills, mm-hmm. put it that way, right? Mm-hmm. From right. From what you might find elsewhere. And so we're standing in line and I realized that the keys had been locked in the car. And so my ex went off to a fire station that's nearby to see if they had anything that we could use to break into the car, like a Slim Jim or a coat hanger or whatever. Coat hanger would work fine. Mm-hmm. Or a brick. <laughs> or a brick. <laughs> and I was standing which, with which I would beat my ex and then find right. somebody competent to break into the car right right <laughs> um, that trunk was huge we could have put his dead body in there and maybe I mean, we should have maybe we should have so anyway uh he goes off to find a slim jim or whatever uh-huh and i'm standing in line like buying a banana at this place where we pumped the gas and now can't move the car right and there were some guys who were kind of like hanging out in the store it was pretty busy as i recall people coming and going lots of people waiting in line to pay And I kind of looked at these guys and they made the mistake of making eye contact with me. And I was like, you two look like people who would know where to find a Slim Jim. Uh huh. And they just looked at me and I was like, do you want to help me break into my car? Uh huh. And they were like, okay. And they went to their car and came back to my car with a Slim Jim and we got into the car. That's so fantastic. (laughs) I was like, I knew it. I eyeballed you. You Uh look like those kind of guys. Right. (laughs) <laughs> they were nice about it, but then uh, my ex came back with a coat hanger, and I was like, you're too late. We figured it out. Let's go. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. It was hard to get into. <clears throat> uh-huh. Like, geometrically, it was hard to get into, and you had to kind of, like, pop, you know, those tiny little triangle windows that you could sort uh, of, like, yes. zhuzh yeah. out of the way a little bit, just enough to slip something in through the uh-huh. seal, yeah. the weather seal. Yeah, one of those situations. Oh, man. I loved that car, but man, it was a pain in the ass. In the cold, if you came up to a stoplight, you would have to jump out, pop the hood, spray some, like, um, oh, God, starter fluid or whatever the fuck it was called. I oh, yeah. You had to spray starter in the, fluid. In the butterfly, in the air intake. In the, yeah, in the carburetor. I yeah. had I had a car like that when I lived in Hawaii that was a... Um, it was a Dodge Cult station wagon, like a oh 78, like the year I was born, like it was yeah. so old. And um, and you had to <laughs> like just sometimes and so it doesn't really get that cold, but just sometimes you just <laughs> couldn't get it started. And you just had to like, like you could use pretty much anything like brake cleaner, anything that was flammable, hairspray, like just anything yeah. to get it like aerosolized in there. Hairspray <laughs> was really not right. a good choice because it gum up everything. But my point <laughs> being is like you could kind of spray any kind of like you know, flammable, like aerosolized substance in there and get it going. Um, Yeah. Which was both cool and also, you know, just really fucking annoying. Oh, my God. It was so bad. Like, you'd have to, if you were out alone, you'd have to, like, keep the can next to you and then, like, throw it in park, 
jump out, toss oh. the hood, yes. unscrew the unscrew the like wing nut on the top yep. of the fucking air filter and shit. Mm-hmm. Pop it open, spray inside the butterfly flap, and then that would like the valve would like blah, 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 and you're like great. And then you'd have to like put the lid back on, screw the butterfly or screw the like wing nut back on. Yeah. Then run around, close the hood, jump back in the car, and go before the light turned green and everybody behind you was like, what the fuck? Right. You're like, what the fuck? It's an old car. You didn't see this coming. Why did you pull up behind me so close? You could have gone around. It's mm-hmm. your fault. Mm-hmm. You were unprepared. I came prepared. I just fixed my car. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we're going now. Everything's fine. <laughs> it was such a huge car. You could fit like six dead people in the trunk of that car. It was enormous. <laughs> it was so big. <laughs> And the seats were those giant bench seats with, like, super coarse, probably wool upholstery oh, and, like, yes. internal springs. Uh-huh. And so as you were driving down the street, you were, like, bouncing up and down because the car had, like, old old school shocks. Uh-huh. And, like, the chairs were all, like, internal metal coil springs, like a, like a, like a squeaky mattress. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> the car was so great. Oh, that's so funny. Oh, um, man. I had a roommate in college who had an old, fucking old two-door Cadillac, and the trunk and the hood were so long and huge, and when you, (laughs) I'd help him kind of work on the engine sometimes, and we'd pop the hood, and like, both of us could stand, like, you could pop the hood, and then go inside the frame and stand on the ground and work on the engine. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it was just, it was just so this big frame, and then this massive vacuous. engine that just sat in the middle, and there was like nothing around it but just the big block with some shit, you know, with the yeah, parts. Yeah, a on lot the of dead space. Yeah, and then the trunk was like the trunk was so big that you could like four of us, and I'm I'm like six two. I don't think I could strictly speak. I could lay down diagonally in there. Yeah. Um, but four yeah. of us could lay like sardines in there. Basically, I'd have to like hunch my feet up a little <laughs> bit, but. Um, and it was just insane. Like I was like fucking, and you sit and it's this four door, and like the seats. So you like the doors are like these massive like slabs of metal that swing out, and you and they're so heavy. Yes. And like you go in, like you get in, and like you open the door, and you could just you didn't have to move the front seat forward or lean it forward. You could just step behind it and get into the back of it. And there was just bench seats, one front bench seat yep. and one back bench seat. Um, <sighs> fucking hilarious i just like a nightmare of just like you know tons of power and insanity and and just a massive amount of metal with like no no thought to no, impact control no or mitigation yeah, yeah like seat belts seat belts like you know but that was right. it um that's it because they were mandated right like it was just <laughs> right. Do you remember when everybody was super pissed off at Ralph Nader because of that? <clears throat> oh, God. Yes. Yeah. Like, do you remember, uh, like, oh, my God, Ralph Nader has gotten pied in the face, and I always feel bad for him. Like, yeah. that guy saved your dumb shit kids. Like, you and your goddamn baby on board stickers, you can thank, like, Ralph Nader for pioneering automobile safety. So many people used to die from auto wrecks before Ralph Nader, and all people want to do is throw pies in his face and tell him not to run for president, and I think he's great. Mm-hmm. I like Ralph Nader. Yeah. Um, so I <clears throat> I saw a note here. A note. I saw something. I'm note, noting that I saw something that I didn't mention before when we yes. were talking about steganography. And it's that the advantage of steganography over cryptography, and this is I find this fascinating, 
is that the intended secret message does not attract attention to itself as an object of scrutiny. Right. Where cryptography is like, what the hell is that? And you, you get yeah. curious about it. And steganography is like, nothing, nothing. Yeah. There's nothing to see here. Yeah. There's a whole, um, there's a whole interesting sort of concept of, um, so in cryptography and, and definitely in stenography is the idea mm -hmm. of, um, if you take a message, so you have a message and then you scramble it and now it, it essentially could look like background noise, right? Like, right. like random data to right. the layman, right? To the, like the casual observer. But mm -hmm. there's a whole field of study about um, being able to analyze blocks of data and determine, even if you can't tell what it, like you can't necessarily decipher the message, but just determine right. that it's actually some kind of ordered data that does represent a message. Um, right. And so, like, that's that whole thing of, like, detecting stenography in the first place. Like, all these images on the internet could potentially, you know, any one of them could be potentially storing some right. some message, right? Some right. hidden like, information. This one says, uh, this, this paragraph says, media files are ideal for steganographic transmission because of their large size. For example, a sender might start with an innocuous image file and adjust the color of every hundredth pixel to correspond to a letter in the alphabet. The change being so subtle that someone who is not specifically looking for it is unlikely to ever notice the changes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Hiding in plain sight. Yep. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, it's funny, like cryptography and encryption and steganography and all of these things I find like utterly fascinating, but the, for whatever dumb reason are not things that I've ever spent any time looking into mm -hmm. like i think i would if i did i would just go down the rabbit hole and not come back again but i've always thought oh i wonder if i'd be any good at any of this yeah i um i mean i certainly work with it a lot in my work um, yeah but i usually you know there's kind of um typically when you're doing development um and you're working on projects like it's it's pretty strongly recommended that you don't invent your own methods of cryptography because you want to use things that are well tested in the field and so generally sure. as a developer you're already you're you're leveraging like well-known algorithms that have been well tested and examined by like a lot of different people yeah. um, and and when i first started in software development um, a couple of my early jobs involved people who just believed that um it was more secure to just make up your own shit because sure, I know better. And turns out that was like disasters every time. Sure. Um, but that said, uh, I work with it plenty and you have to, in order even to work with and implement like the existing algorithms, like you do have to understand them to some extent. And it's, um, it is a really fascinating field and something that I, I don't know. Um, I don't know where I fall. Like it's, I think it's it's too narrow to hold my focus long enough. Um, like it has super broad reaching implications, mm -hmm. but the day to day of it is um, a very kind of narrow. Like narrow is not quite the right word. It's a really focused long term endeavor, and it really requires a lot of um, deep understanding of mathematics and statistics and um, a lot of things that I over time i mean i don't know maybe as i progress in my career i'll go more down that road like as yeah, i'm working more and more i get more involved in security just becomes more and more of an issue and for sure cryptography is like the more interesting end of that for me i'm less mm -hmm. interested in um 
trying to p- predict like human interest and in how they're going to attack, you know, attack products and things like that. And, right. you know, I, I find it interesting the kind of solutions people come up with. And I find it interesting, like there's a broad range of reasons why people attempt to, um, you know, circumvent security measures or to cause damage to other online entities. And, you know, and for me, it's like that stuff's not as interesting to me as cryptography for sure. So in that realm, I'm definitely like, Oh, cryptography, like this is interesting. And stenography, very, very cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. So interestingly in the article on steganography, they talk about this cyber physical systems and the internet of things, Mm -hmm. but it's a super short blurb just says, um, Academic work since 2012 demonstrated the feasibility of steganography for cryptic physical systems, abbreviated CPS, uh-huh. um, slash the Internet of Things, abbreviated IoT. Some techniques of CPS slash IoT steganography overlap with network steganography, i.e. hiding data in communication protocols used in CPS slash the IoT. However, specific techniques hide data in CPS components. For instance, data can be stored in unused registers of IoT slash CPS components and in the states of IoT slash CPS actuators. So like I get what they're saying, but also I don't get what they're saying. So I mean I, I understand I don't know anything about the individual things that they mentioned in this, although I understand the big picture of what they're saying about how, you know, we implement this and we hide stuff in here. Yeah, so I think what they're I think what they're saying is that um so when it comes to the internet of things, which is a that is a that's whole That's another topic. Yeah. That's a whole another can of worms. Um I think the idea is that with if or with the advent of more and more small devices being present on the internet and having like access, so having having some public facing access, right? Um, you know, if you have like a really classic one is like, if you have like an echo, like an Amazon echo, or you have a Google, whatever the fuck those things are and, or a fucking cell phone or any of that. Alexa, Alexa. Yeah. Um, wait, that's the Amazon one, right? Well, yeah, it's the, so it's the Amazon echo, but to get Amazon echoes attention, you call her Alexa and she responds to you, Mm -hmm. which makes no fucking sense to me from a marketing specter. Why did you call it echo? Or why didn't you just call it fucking whatever yeah anyway it's dumb go on (laughs) so i think what they're saying here is the concept that um as you have more and more of these things like so if you have your your alexa aware toaster and your fucking or smart home toaster and your smart home fridge and your smart home you know fucking teapot or whatever Mm -hmm. all these fucking insanely dumb things um i mean just so dumb anyway it just i cannot (laughs) say I, I really can't stress how stupid most of this shit is. So you yeah. have all these things and they all have um, some kind of presence on the, on the internet, on the, yes. you know, they, they end up having access to the internet because they're calling home or whatever. But um, the idea is that you would be able to hide data um, uh, inside of their, like, inside of them in some way like if Mm -hmm. so for instance if you have like a web interface to configure your fucking toaster to toast toast better or whatever and so you plug it into your alexa you know your home network and now you can browse to it on your phone and pull up a web page like you could conceivably um just store data in that web page in a way that's like 
in a stenographic way. Like you could have a couple of bits at the end, like an extra, an extra carriage return or an extra thing or whatever, you know, whatever you need, like some kind of signaling that with the right key, you'd be like, Oh, there's a hidden message there. Um, Right. I'm assuming that's kind of what they're, what they're talking about here. And if you're listening to this and you're going out of your mind and you want to tell us how fucking dumb we are and we're missing the whole point, uh, that reminds me that you can email us. You can email Dana, D-A-N-A at fcbmi.io. She's our executive assistant. And she can um, get you squared away with that. Um, she'll Well, you, you send her an email and she'll get, get messages to us. Uh, you can also just go to our website and get our emails directly, um, fcbm.io, which you're, if you're listening to this, you're probably already aware of it. Um, if you're not... Uh, I don't, we don't really care if you go there, but if you go there, the things you can do are get more of the podcast and contact us. Um, yeah. That's really about it. Like it's not, I mean, it, at some point we may use it to host more um, information about other projects we've been talking about. We'll see. We'll see how we've got an upcoming um, FCBM uh, convention coming up. Um, it's yeah, so high summer convention, and so uh, maybe after the convention, we'll have new projects to share about. Share. Yeah, and, and I mean, you know how much we love conferences. Yes. And so we just decided that post COVID, the best thing for us to do was to make our own conference. Yes. And force yeah. ourselves to show up at it. Would you consider this post COVID period yet? Well, I mean, post for us because we're some yes. of the lucky few who have managed to be vaccinated to the point where it's safe for us to interact with people in a normal way again. Right. And therefore, like you and I, if we could teleport, would have been safe with each other the whole time because I haven't had physical contact right. yes. with other human beings for years, literally, yeah. right? because um, I'm a total recluse right. anyway. Um, <laughs> and the only people I allow in my house are people who are like immune compromised and hyper careful because I am also potentially immune compromised in ways that we're not even clear about. So it's right, like, right. I've had to be very, very careful. And then when they were talking about making vaccines, I am allergic to other existing vaccines and it's not the vaccine part that I'm allergic to. It's the contents of the vaccine mm-hmm. that your immune system actually reacts to, not like the, right, the right. microbiological backbone of it. Yeah. And so... There was some like uncertainty over whether I was even a candidate for the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we had to hesitate for a while. And so I was like, listen, I'm just going to go completely isolationist here. And so, um, like, have maintained a, a huge amount of separation from everybody. And um, now that we're both <clears throat> immunized, um, we can actually be in the same place at the same time again and travel through the world to get to the place that we are going to be in the same place at the same time. Right. Right. Fear of death or causing other people to die. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm excited about this actually. Yes. 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 Um, High summer in Minnesota is very strange because it's, we're in the Northern latitudes. So it stays light yeah. For a really long time in the summertime. That's cool. I'm excited yeah. about that. When I lived in Oregon, I remember summers being pretty cool like that. I don't think yeah. it's quite at the same latitude, but... Um, it's got to be close. Yeah. Um, so I have to wrap up, and I just mm-hmm. wanted to thank everybody for listening. And we do have... Um, if you've listened this long, um, we've got the... Uh, obviously, we've got Colors of the Day. Um, yep. I already mentioned the website and emailing us. We really would love to hear from you, you know, positive or negative. It's irrelevant or I mean, it's all relevant, whatever. I, <laughs> I've been using irrelevant a lot lately. I very dismissive of my tangents lately. So um, it's okay. It's fine. Um, I'm not sure why that got stuck in my uh, vernacular, but there we go. Um, 
Yeah. So anyway, let's do colors of the day and then we'll okay. wrap up. So uh, today we have two colors as always because you, you really need some kind of reference color to appreciate any color. Yep. And so uh, today we have two colors. We have Ampular Retro Rocket and Clerical Emancipationist. Wonderful. So these Excellent. colors are going to probably change your life or it, if not your life, at least your day. And if yes. not your day, at least this hour. So yep. um, if you can get some Ampular Retro Rocket, this is what it would look like. So uh, oh, yes. it's a it's a kind of oh, God, like a deep salmon. It is a deep salmon. Yeah, I thought of salmon as soon as I saw it. The it sort of looks like uncooked salmon, like maybe like raw, like lox mm-hmm. or smoked yeah. salmon. Swedish. It's it's a little bit, it's a little bit to the yellow orange side, just barely, and it's definitely above neutral and in uh, hue, I get or gray. Mm-hmm. Like on the gray mm-hmm. scale, it, it's a little bit. It's like solidly in the in the lighter area, um, yeah. but not much. So. It's value, so it's RGB values. That's red, green, blue are two zero three eight seven six four. Um, so you can see the red is like up high, and then you've got a little bit of green. Or, you know, you've got kind of mid tone mm-hmm. green, and then yeah, to kind of tone it down a little. Yeah, and then just a, a little more touch of blue. Um, yeah, and so the um, the hexadecimal value, which is if you're listening to this for the first time, you can just chuck that in Google right now if you got your phone in front of you, and then you'll see this color. So you just um, type in octothorpe or hashtag cb5740 that's charlie bravo 5740 so hashtag charlie bravo 5740 will show you the color of ampular retro rocket yes um and now let's talk about clerical and emancipationist um clerical emancipationist is halfway between teal and emerald green. Yeah. It's a jewel tone. It's but definitely it's not a jewel tone. turquoise and no. it's not emerald and it's not like it's it's a very blue green, mm-hmm. but it's also kind of pastel-y and like it's definitely not a dark color either. Yeah, so the red the RGB values for that one are 63144132, so um, you know, your green blue is up and your red's pretty low. And then the hexadecimal value for that is uh, hashtag three foxtrot nine zero eight four. That's three F nine zero eight four. Hashtag three foxtrot nine zero eight four. Check that They're in Google. delightful together. They are delightful together. Um, <clears throat> I wouldn't necessarily like either of these colors alone, but I think they right. look dynamite together. Yeah. Yeah. They really do. Um, they have a really interesting relationship. Um and so typically when our research department pulls colors together, usually um, there's a primary, like there's the the main color and then it's, it's exact complementary color. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is not the case here. Um, right. I'm not actu- actually sure. The research department did not tell me what they used to calculate or to come up with these. So um, okay. if, if you know how these colors relate, you know, um, from a sort of color theory point of view, we'd love to hear from you. Tell us. Yeah, tell us. <laughs> tell us so, how to do our job. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. Well, join the conversation anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell somebody. Do we? <laughs> is this a job? <laughs> well, I mean, it's work. It is work. Certainly feels like work. I never look forward to getting on the podcast. <laughs> <talk about. laughs> it's good work. It's good work. No, I love. I love doing this. So, um, yeah, I think that's it. 
Oh yeah, Great. and I do have to go to. I have to go do other. Oh work. no! All right. Well, I will finish up all of the administrative duties related to this podcast and its production. Yeah, and uh, which that'll is always be appreciated. That. Yeah, awesome. Yay. Well, well, you know me. I'm like a. I'm like a clerical nerd. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm Ned, and you're Meg, and we're signing off here, calling it a. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for I, listening. My brain's like, oh, did you ever see um, what was that fucking movie with? Was it Kevin Bacon? Um, it was like pump up the jam or something. And it was like, he was that like high schooler who had like the pirate radio station. Oh my God. I don't, it was it, uh, was it pump up the volume? Pump up, pump the, up volume. the volume. Directed with Christian Slater, Samantha Christian, Mathis, Anthony yes. Lucero. A- yeah. Andy Christian Romano. Slater. Right. Yep. Mark runs a pirate radio station and causes an uproar when he speaks his mind and enthralls fellow teens. <laughs> so, so bad. Can't recommend it enough. 1990. Yeah. Anyway, I always think of that movie when we're podcasting because like it just burned into my mind. Like he's always like on the microphone, like in his parents' basement or whatever. Oh, and God. just like pouring out his like his heart and you know all these like teen girls are falling in love with him on the radio and all the men are like losing their shit like excited about like oh this guy's speaking our power or whatever it's so yeah so dumb um like you know this this like really attractive white guy Uh uh-huh busting up all of the rules (laughs) exactly i yeah i like it coming of age drama film like Uh uh-huh it's cute because he's Christian Bill and he's attractive and he's young in this Slater. movie, but Slater. or Christian Slater. Yeah. But if he was like a 35 year old man still broadcasting from his parents' basement, we'd be having a very different conversation. Yes, it really changes the tone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I really have to run. Right. Thanks for that okay. last little tangential uh, <laughs> yeah. trip there. Okay. Okay. Bye. Super. Bye.